Chapter Twelve, Part One of Salambo by Gustave Flaubert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Chapter Twelve, Part One: The Aqueduct. Twelve hours afterwards, all that remained of the mercenaries was a heap of wounded, dead, and dying hamilcar had suddenly emerged from the bottom of the gorge and again descended the western slope that looked towards hipposaritus and the space being broader at this spot he had taken care to draw the barbarians into it narhavas had encompassed them with his horse the suffet meanwhile drove them back and crushed them then too they were conquered beforehand by the loss of the zaimph even those who cared nothing about it had experienced anguish and something akin to enfeeblement hamilcar not indulging his pride by holding the field of battle had retired a little further off on the left to some heights from which he commanded them the shape of the camps could be recognized by their sloping palisades a long heap of black cinders was smoking on the side of the libyans the devastated soil showed undulations like the sea and the tents with their tattered canvas looked like dim ships half lost in the breakers cuirasses forks clarions pieces of wood iron and brass corn straw and garments were scattered about among the corpses here and there a phalarica on the point of extinction burned against a heap of baggage in some places the earth was hidden with shields horses carcasses succeeded one another like a series of hillocks legs sandals arms and coats of mail were to be seen with heads held in their helmets by the chin-pieces and rolling about like balls heads of hair were hanging on the thorns elephants were lying with their towers in pools of blood with entrails exposed and gasping the foot trod on slimy things and there were swamps of mud although no rain had fallen this confusion of dead bodies covered the whole mountain from top to bottom those who survived stirred as little as the dead squatting in unequal groups they looked at one another scared and without speaking the lake of hipposaritis shone at the end of a long meadow beneath the setting sun to the right an agglomeration of white horses extended beyond a girdle of walls then the sea spread out indefinitely and the barbarians with their chins in their hands sighed as they thought of their native lands a cloud of grey dust was falling the evening wind blew then every breast dilated and as the freshness increased 
the vermin might be seen to forsake the dead who were colder now and to run over the hot sand crows looking towards the dying rested motionless on the tops of the big stones when night had fallen yellow-haired dogs those unclean beasts which followed the armies came quite softly into the midst of the barbarians at first they licked the clots of blood on the still tepid stumps and soon they began to devour the corpses biting into the stomachs first of all the fugitives reappeared one by one like shadows the women also ventured to return for there were still some of them left especially among the libyans in spite of the dreadful massacre of them by the numidians some took ropes ends and lighted them to use as torches others held crossed pikes the corpses were placed upon these and were conveyed apart they were found lying stretched in long lines on their backs with their mouths open and their lances beside them or else they were piled up pall-mall so that it was often necessary to dig out a whole heap in order to discover those they were wanting then the torch would be passed slowly over their faces they had received complicated wounds from hideous weapons greenish strips hung from their foreheads they were cut in pieces crushed to the marrow blue from strangulation or broadly cleft by the elephant's ivory although they had died at almost the same time there existed differences between their various states of corruption the men of the north were puffed up with livid swellings while the more nervous africans looked as though they had been smoked and were already drying up the mercenaries might be recognized by the tattooings on their hands the old soldiers of antiochus displayed a sparrow-hawk those who had served in egypt the head of the cynocephalus those who had served with the princes of asia a hatchet a pomegranate or a hammer those who had served in the greek republics the side view of a citadel or the name of an archon and some were to be seen whose arms were entirely covered with these multipled symbols which mingled with their scars and their recent wounds four great funeral piles were erected for the men of latin race the samnites etruscans campanians and bratians the greeks dug pits with the points of their swords the spartans removed their red cloaks and wrapped them around the dead the athenians laid them out with their faces towards the rising sun the cantabrians buried them beneath a heap of pebbles 
the Nasamonians bent them double with ox-leather thongs, and the Garamantians went and interred them on the shore, so that they might be perpetually washed by the waves. But the Latins were grieved that they could not collect the ashes in urns, the nomads regretted the heat of the sands in which bodies were mummified and the celts the three rude stones beneath a rainy sky at the end of an islet-covered gulf vociferations arose followed by the lengthened silence this was to oblige the souls to return then the shouting was resumed persistently at regular intervals they made excuses to the dead for their inability to honour them as the rites prescribed for owing to this deprivation they would pass for infinite periods through all kinds of chances and metamorphoses they questioned them and asked them what they desired others loaded them with abuse for having allowed themselves to be conquered the bloodless faces lying back here and there on the wrecks of armour showed pale in the light of the green funeral pile tears provoked tears the sobs became shriller the recognitions and embracings more frantic women stretched themselves on the corpses mouth to mouth and brow to brow it was necessary to beat them in order to make them withdraw when the earth was being thrown in they blackened their cheeks they cut off their hair they drew their own blood and poured it into the pits they gnashed themselves in imitation of the wounds that disfigured the dead roarings burst forth through the crashings of the cymbals some snatched off their amulets and spat upon them the dying rolled in the bloody mire biting their mutilated fists in their rage and forty-three some nights being a sacred spring cut one another's throats like gladiators soon wood for the funeral piles failed the flames were extinguished every spot was occupied and weary from shouting weakened tottering they fell asleep close to their dead brethren those who still clung to life full of anxieties and the others desiring never to wake again in the greyness of the dawn some soldiers appeared on the outskirts of the barbarians and filed past with their helmets raised on the points of their pikes they saluted the mercenaries and asked them whether they had no messages to send to their native lands others approached and the barbarians recognized some of their former companions the suffet had proposed to all the captives that they should serve in his troops 
several had fearlessly refused and quite resolved neither to support them nor to abandon them to the great council he had sent them away with injunctions to fight no more against carthage as to those who had been rendered docile by the fear of torches they had been furnished with the weapons taken from the enemy and they were now presenting themselves to the vanquished not so much in order to seduce them as out of an impulse of pride and curiosity at first they told of the good treatment which they had received from the suffet the barbarians listened to them with jealousy although they despised them then at the first words of reproach the cowards fell into a passion they showed them from a distance their own swords and caresses and invited them with abuse to come and take them the barbarians picked up flints all took to fight and nothing more could be seen on the summit of the mountain except the lance-points projecting above the edge of the palisades then the barbarians were overwhelmed with a grief that was heavier than the humiliation of the defeat they thought of the emptiness of their courage and they stood with their eyes fixed and grinding their teeth the same thought came to them all they rushed tumultuously upon the carthaginian prisoners it chanced that the suffet's soldiers had been unable to discover them and as he had withdrawn from the field of battle they were still in the deep pit they were ranged on the ground on a flattened spot sentries formed a circle around them and the women were allowed to enter thirty or forty at a time wishing to profit by the short time that was allowed to them they ran from one to the other uncertain and panting then bending over the poor bodies they struck them with all their might like washerwomen beating linen shrieking their husbands names they tore them with their nails and put out their eyes with the bodkins of their hair the men came next and tortured them from their feet which they cut off at the ankles to their foreheads from which they took crowns of skin to put upon their own heads the eaters of uncleanness were atrocious in their devices they envenomed the wounds by pouring into them dust vinegar and fragments of pottery others waited behind blood flowed and they rejoiced like vintagers round fuming vats mato however was seated on the ground at the very place where he had happened to be when the battle ended his elbows on his knees and his temples in his hands he saw nothing heard nothing and had ceased to think 
at the shrieks of joy uttered by the crowd he raised his head before him a strip of canvas caught on a flagpole and trailing on the ground sheltered in confused fashion blankets carpets and a lion's skin he recognized his tent and he riveted his eyes upon the ground as though hamilcar's daughter when she disappeared had sunk into the earth the torn canvas flapped in the wind the long rags of it sometimes passed across his mouth and he perceived a red mark like the print of a hand it was the hand of narhavas the token of their alliance then matho rose he took a firebrand which was still smoking and threw it disdainfully upon the wrecks of his tent then with the toe of his cothern he pushed the things which fell out back towards the flame so that nothing might be left suddenly without any one being able to guess from what point he had sprung up spendius reappeared the former slave had fastened two fragments of a lance against his thigh he limped with a piteous look breathing forth complaints the while remove that said matho to him i know that you are a brave fellow for he was so crushed by the injustice of the gods that he had not strength enough to be indignant with men spendius beckoned to him and led him to a hollow of the mountain where zaxas and autaritus were lying concealed they had fled like the slave the one although he was cruel and the other in spite of his bravery but who said they could have expected the treachery of narhavas the burning of the camp of the libyans the loss of the zaimph the sudden attack by hamilcar and above all his manoeuvres which forced them to return to the bottom of the mountain beneath the instant blows of the carthaginians spendius made no acknowledgment of his terror and persisted in maintaining that his leg was broken at last the three chiefs and the skeleskim asked one another what decision should now be adopted hamilcar closed the road to carthage against them they were caught between his soldiers and the provinces belonging to narhavas the tyrian towns would join the conquerors the barbarians would find themselves driven to the edge of the sea and all those united forces would crush them this would infallibly happen thus no means presented themselves of avoiding the war accordingly they must prosecute it to the bitter end but how were they to make the necessity of an interminable battle understood by all these disheartened people 
who were still bleeding from their wounds i will undertake that said spendius two hours afterwards a man who came from the direction of hippo climbed the mountain at a run he waved some tablets at arm's length and as he shouted very loudly the barbarians surrounded him the tablets had been dispatched by the greek soldiers in sardinia they recommended their african comrades to watch over gisco and the other captives a samian trader one hipponax coming from carthage had informed them that a plot was being organized to promote their escape and the barbarians were urged to take every precaution the republic was powerful spendius's stratagem did not succeed at first as he had hoped this assurance of the new peril so far from exciting frenzy raised fears and remembering hamilcar's warning lately thrown into their midst they expected something unlooked for and terrible the night was spent in great distress several even got rid of their weapons so as to soften the soffit when he presented himself but on the following day at the third watch a second runner appeared still more breathless and blackened with dust the greek snatched from his hand a roll of papyrus covered with phoenician writing the mercenaries were entreated not to be disheartened the brave men of tunis were coming with large reinforcements spendius first read the letter three times in succession and held up by two cappadocians who bore him seated on their shoulders he had himself conveyed from place to place and re-read it for seven hours he harangued he reminded the mercenaries of the promises of the great council the africans of the cruelties of the stewards and all the barbarians of the injustice of carthage the suffet's mildness was only a bait to capture them those who surrendered would be sold as slaves and the vanquished would perish under torture as to flight what routes could they follow not a nation would receive them whereas by continuing their efforts they would obtain at once freedom vengeance and money and they would not have long to wait since the people of tunis the whole of libya was rushing to relieve them he showed the unrolled papyrus look at it read see their promises i do not lie dogs were straying about with their black muzzles all plastered with red the men's uncovered heads were growing hot in the burning sun 
a nauseous smell exhaled from the badly buried corpses some even projected from the earth as far as the waist spendius called them to witness what he was saying then he raised his fists in the direction of hamilcar matho moreover was watching him and to cover his cowardice he displayed an anger by which he gradually found himself carried away devoting himself to the gods he heaped curses upon the carthaginians the torture of the captives was child's play why spare them and be ever dragging this useless cattle after one no we must put an end to it their designs are known a single one might ruin us no pity those who are worthy will be known by the speed of their legs and the force of their blows then they turned again upon the captives several were still in the last throes they were finished by the thrust of a heel in the mouth or a stab with the point of a javelin then they thought of gisco nowhere could he be seen they were disturbed with anxiety they wished at once to convince themselves of his death and to participate in it at last three sunlight shepherds discovered him at a distance of fifteen paces from the spot where matho's tent lately stood they recognized him by his long beard and they called the rest stretched on his back his arms against his hips and his knees close together he looked like a dead man laid out for the tomb nevertheless his wasted sides rose and fell and his eyes wide opened in his pallid face gazed in a continuous and intolerable fashion the barbarians looked at him at first with great astonishment since he had been living in the pit he had been almost forgotten rendered uneasy by old memories they stood at a distance and did not venture to raise their hands against him but those who were behind were murmuring and pressed forward when a garamantian passed through the crowd he was brandishing a sickle all understood his thought their faces purpled and smitten with shame they shrieked yes yes the man with the curved steel approached gisco he took his head and resting it upon his knee sawed it off with rapid strokes it fell great jets of blood made a hole in the dust xarxas leaped upon it and lighter than a leopard ran towards the carthaginians then when he had covered two-thirds of the mountain he drew gisco's head from his breast by the beard whirled his arm rapidly several times 
and the mass when thrown at last described a long parabola and disappeared behind the punic entrenchments soon at the edge of the palisades there rose two crossed standards the customary sign for claiming a corpse then four heralds chosen for their width of chest went out with great clarions and speaking through the brass tubes declared that henceforth there would be between carthaginians and barbarians neither faith pity nor gods that they refused all overtures beforehand and that envoys would be sent back with their hands cut off immediately afterwards spendius was sent to hippozaritus to procure provisions the tyrian city sent them some the same evening they ate greedily then when they were strengthened they speedily collected the remains of their baggage and their broken arms the women massed themselves in the centre and heedless of the wounded left weeping behind them they set out along the edge of the shore like a herd of wolves taking its departure they were marching upon hippozaritus resolved to take it for they had need of a town hamilcar as he perceived them at the distance had a feeling of despair in spite of the pride which he experienced in seeing them fly before him he ought to have attacked them immediately with fresh troops another similar day and the war was over if matters were protracted they would return with greater strength the tyrian towns would join them his clemency towards the vanquished had been of no avail he resolved to be pitiless the same evening he sent the great council a dromedary laden with bracelets collected from the dead and with horrible threats ordered another army to be dispatched all had for a long time believed him lost so that on learning his victory they felt a stupefaction which was almost terror the vaguely announced return of the zaimf completed the wonder thus the gods and the might of carthage seemed now to belong to him none of his enemies ventured upon complaint or recrimination owing to the enthusiasm of some and the pusillanimity of the rest an army of five thousand men was ready before the interval prescribed had elapsed this army promptly made its way to utica in order to support the suffet's rear while three thousand of the most notable citizens embarked in vessels which were to land them at hippozaritis whence they were to drive back the barbarians hanno had accepted the command 
but he entrusted the army to his lieutenant magdassin so as to lead the troops which were to be disembarked himself for he could no longer endure the shaking of the litter his disease had eaten away his lips and nostrils and had hollowed out a large hole in his face the back of his throat could be seen at a distance of ten paces and he knew himself to be so hideous that he wore a veil over his head like a woman hippo Zaretus paid no attention to his summonings nor yet to those of the barbarians but every morning the inhabitants lowered provisions to the latter in baskets and shouting from the tops of the towers pleaded the exigencies of the republic and conjured them to withdraw by means of signs they addressed the same protestations to the carthaginians who were stationed on the sea hanno contented himself with blockading the harbour without risking an attack however he permitted the judges of hippozaretus to admit three hundred soldiers then he departed to the cape grapes and made a long circuit so as to hem in the barbarians an inopportune and even dangerous operation his jealousy prevented him from relieving the suffet he arrested his spies impeded him in all his plans and compromised the success of the enterprise at last hamilcar wrote to the great council to rid himself of hanno and the latter returned to carthage furious at the baseness of the ancients and the madness of his colleague hence after so many hopes the situation was now still more deplorable but there was an effort not to reflect upon it and even not to talk about it End of chapter twelve part one